jam on the roof and go around church. Let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, what a lofty subject it is to talk about marriage. And we thank you for your word that is so clear to us on this topic. And we pray that we would listen to your word tonight and be glad to listen and to obey. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why does marriage matter? Why is it that committed atheists and secularists and all sorts of other ists still care about this ancient institution? They've spent so much of their time blowing up our social artefacts, you'd think they'd talk less about marriage and not more. But exactly three years to the day, tomorrow, the results of a national marriage plebiscite were released. Three years tomorrow. Australians were asked, should the law be changed to allow same-sex couples to marry? And nearly 8 million people said yes, and nearly 5 million people said no. And so the law followed the wishes of the 61% of voters, and so marriage was changed. And the result brought more excitement than a COVID vaccine, I'd say. But why does marriage matter? Men and women and men and men and women and women have been able to join in civil unions with almost all the same recognition as marriage. And yet millions of dollars and lots of sweat and tears were shed to redefine marriage to enable same-sex couples to be included in this timeless institution. The same people who rejoiced in the broken marriages from the 1970s no-fault divorce legislation are the same people who now want to redefine marriage. Some might say that they're changing marriage to become so inclusive that it becomes meaningless. Maybe. Maybe marriage might grow in significance, but only then eventually shrink in society. I mean, not that many people want to get married in a church these days. In the last five years, I've only done one wedding in this building. And it's a nice building too. But marriage seems to be so important to so many people. As I describe on our website, and it's linked in our Facebook page, and it's on the front of our news sheet, uh, the Appellate Tribunal of the Anglican Church of Australia announced this week that it sees no problem with Anglican ministers conducting blessings of same-sex marriages. 4pm on Wednesday afternoon, it dropped on their website... And it's not going to cause the sky to fall, but it has made another crack in the constitution of our national Anglican church. And people are prepared to blow the place up because a few Anglicans in Wangaratta want to have their same-sex unions blessed. But why does marriage matter? Well, as our prayer book puts it so beautifully, marriage is, quote, an honourable state of life instituted from the beginning by God himself, signifying to us the spiritual union that is between Christ and his church, end quote. At the end of the day, marriage matters because marriage is a gift from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. And it's not only for our benefit, but it's also 
because it's a beautiful picture of Christ's love for his church. And that is what we're going to see big and bold as we come to this passage from chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 21 to 33. But we're also going to see a whole lot of practical advice about how the marriage should work. We'll hear specific information about how it is that the wife should relate to the husband and how the husband should relate to the wife. It's not going to be some sort of pop psychological women's weekly wisdom. This is going to be the clear, bold instruction from the maker of marriage himself. Or there might be a little bit of pop psychology from me, but anyway, I'll try not to. The thing is that most people don't read manuals these days, but tonight we are. We're going to read the manual from the one who made marriage, and we're going to hear from God how it is that marriage should work. So have a listen with me from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. And as I read it out, take a note of the connection between marriage and the love of Jesus for us. All right, That's what we're looking out for. There's some sort of connection there between the way that marriages work and the way that Jesus loves the church. And see if you can spot that. Here we go. And further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Friends, I reckon this is one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. I reckon. I reckon it is just beautiful. Such a beautiful, rich picture of the love of Christ for us. It's just Mind-blowing. And it's also such a beautiful picture of marriage. Marriage that is made in heaven for us. But before we launch further into this, we need to understand the context of this passage of Scripture. We're at the very end of chapter 5 of Ephesians, and we're into the bit where we're learning how to live in response to God's glorious grace for us. Last week we heard that we should not try to run away from life by getting drunk. Don't just jump into a bottle. 
But instead, we should be filled with God's Holy Spirit. He should fill and satisfy us in every way. And how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, I had my nerdy bit at the end of last week, which I'll repeat briefly now. The verb be filled is supported by four verbal participles, the in words. Be filled, doing this, doing that, doing that, doing that. It tells us how they all connect together. The first one is singing songs, or literally speaking songs to one another. The next ing is making music to God. The next ing is giving thanks to God. And the fourth ing is submitting to one another. So there's four ings there that show how it is that we should be filled with the Spirit. Don't run away into a bottle. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled with the Spirit? You sing, you make music, you give thanks, and you submit. And that's what we see in the first verse of today's passage. Verse 21. Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Most English translations will break it up. So you don't see the ing, the ing, the ing, the ing. And that's okay because it's pretty long and, you know. But what we do benefit from in seeing this is that what we're looking at at this verse is connected to these things that have come before it. That the whole idea of submission to one another is actually something that fills us with the Spirit of God. I don't know if you've thought about it that before. How do you not get filled with grog? How do you get filled with the Spirit? Uh, uh, Submit to one another. We are filled with the Spirit when we submit. We're filled with the Spirit when we submit. Submission is something that all Christians are to do as we respect and revere Christ Jesus. We submit to him and to each other because of what he's done for us, by saving us. And that's how we're filled with the Spirit. But what exactly is submission, this word? And as we submit to one another, is it symmetrical? You know what I mean by symmetrical? Is it exactly the same for all humans in every situation? Well, there are two questions to look at. Uh, Well, let's jump into the first one first. What's submission? Well, it's about agreeing to follow the leadership of somebody else. Submission is agreeing to follow the leadership of someone else. So when my RFS pager goes off, here's my fiery illustration for today. When my RFS pager goes off, I may choose to jump in my car and submit to that call and head down to the RFS fire station, the Jamboree fire station. And when I get there, I then choose to submit to the crew leader or the deputy captain or the captain And they tell me which truck to jump into and what I need to do. And as it's all happening and the adrenaline's rushing, I I follow them and I don't say, but what? No, I just do what I'm told. And I willingly submit to them because I want to make sure that together as a team, we're able to deal with the incident, you know, the motor vehicle accident or the fire or whatever it is, cut up a tree. We haven't had one of those uh, for a while. But next Wednesday week, when we have a brigade members meeting, uh, those same officers that I have submitted to when the siren goes off are the same people who will actually need to submit to me because I'm the brigade president. There you go. And so we'll have a meeting and I'll say, order, order, okay, next I call upon the captain and she has to submit to me, willingly, you know. 
But otherwise, when a half an hour early, if the page went off, I'd be submitting to her because that's the way things work well. We willingly do that. And all of us on the brigade are equal. We're all important the same. We've all got this role. We all get paid just as much money as each other. <laughs> Nothing, which is great. We're never happy with that. <laughs> we are all equal, but at different ways and different times, we submit to one another. And the same is true of the family. In the next few bits, we'll see how husbands and wives submit. And we'll see how fathers and children submit. And we'll see how masters and slaves submit. They are all, we are all, equally valuable in God's sight. And because of what Christ has done for them, they choose to willingly submit to each other in different ways. It's not symmetrical, though. Wives are told to willingly submit to their husbands and not the other way round. Children are told to obey their fathers and not the other way round. And slaves are told to obey their earthly masters and not the other way round. It's not symmetrical, but it's sensible. It makes sense. Because when the lights and sirens are on, the the captain shouldn't submit to me. I'm pretty clueless. I know which end of a hose to hold, and that's about it, really. We need submission and good order so that we don't look like idiots when the fire call happens. And how does that apply to marriage, though? Is it the same thing? Well, we're now going to see three verses that are addressed to wives and then six verses that are addressed to men. And it starts like this, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's the way that God wants marriages to work. Wives are told by God that they need to choose to submit to their husbands in the same way that they submit to the Lord Jesus. And so the wife should follow the lead of her husband. The wife should follow the lead of her husband. Kind of like a good ballroom dancing couple. Someone needs to lead, someone needs to follow. And if that doesn't happen, people get their feet trodden on. God has said the wife needs to follow the husband. But why? Verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. The reason is that God has given each husband a different role to his wife. And that role is that the husband is the head of the body. Now there's not some sort of disconnect between the husband and the wife. They are the one body. Did you notice that? The one body. And so which is more valuable? The brain or the heart? I'm not saying which one's which. I'm not, I'm not, did I push this analogy too hard? Is it which is more valuable, the head or the torso? Now, which one do you need for the, for the value of it? I mean, it's a silly question, isn't it? They're all part of the one body. They've got different roles. And, and like a human body, the heart follows the instructions from the nerves that come from the brain. But the brain is fed by the blood that comes from the heart. I mean, it's the one body. They're all valuable. You've got to have both. They're all doing stuff that are equally valuable. But the Bible doesn't just speak about the marriage as one body. It also talks about the church as one body. You see both of them there in the same verse on the screen? It's the same analogy we've already read about in Ephesians at many points. We are the one body of Christ. And like a human body, there is order in the unity. Like a body, there is order in the unity. And the order is that Christ lovingly rules the church 
which is the analogy that we'll see throughout this passage. But before we really hear much more about the wife's role, we're actually given a heads up as to what the husband's role involves. Because if the husband is like Christ, then in some way the husband is to be like Christ, who is the saviour of the church. See, Christ saved the church, which makes him the ideal leader and the leader who is totally worth following. And we're told here that the husband is in the same category, even though there are, of course, differences that come from Jesus being without sin, of course. And we'll hear more about that in just a moment. But here's the third and final sentence to wives, which basically repeats the earlier one, verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. The analogy is made even clearer at this point. Christians are to submit to the loving rule of Christ. And in the same way, wives are to submit to the loving rule of their husbands in everything. So what does that look like? What does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband in everything? Well, let me start by saying a few things that it's not saying. The first is, a husband must never demand that his wife submit. A husband must not demand that his wife submits. See, husbands, don't tell your wives to submit to you and definitely do not force them to do so. If the wife is going to submit, then it is her choice as she serves the Lord and she does it out of obedience to God and not to you, husbands. And related to this, if the husband is acting in any way where he is forcing leadership upon his wife, then this is abuse and it must stop. I think it's very important to make it clear right from the start that husbands must not abuse their wives in any way. No physical abuse, no emotional abuse, no spiritual abuse, no sexual abuse, no financial abuse, no abuse, no, no, none. And if you suspect that you are being abused by your husbands, then wives, you need to get help. And it is right for you to leave your husband for a moment for your safety and to bring about repentance in him. If you're not sure what this means or how it applies to you, speak to a trusted and mature Christian. And we've got posters around the hall that give you some information about that. And in fact, they point to this website from our own Diocese of Sydney. It says nodomesticabuse.church. That's K-N-O-W, domesticabuse.church. And of course, everything I've said about husbands abusing wives is sadly also true for wives who abuse husbands. Husbands, you might need to visit this website too. In fact, I think we will all find some good stuff on it. Anyway, hopefully that's clear about what submission is not. But the other thing is that it's not just about one person making decisions. See, a healthy marriage will involve the partnership of the husband and the wife who together make decisions and carry those decisions out in unity and equality. That's what it should look like. Now, I can tell you right from the outset, I do not have the perfect marriage because my perfect wife is married to me. 
But under God, we do seek to obey God's word and in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the blessing and joy of forgiveness, we navigate our marriage. And I want to give you a bit of an insight as to how I try and lead Mandy in our marriage as she willingly submits to the Lord and in doing so submits to my leadership. Uh, Firstly, I know that I have ultimate responsibility for what happens in my marriage. And this is an important thing. Husbands have responsibility for the marriage. If things go pear-shaped or apple-shaped, it is my responsibility. The buck stops with me. I must not be anything like the first Adam who, when asked about the fruit-eating incident... He says to God in a classy way, Oh, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. See, if my marriage and my family falls off the cliff, I mustn't blame my wife. I must take full responsibility. That's how God makes it. And that means that I mustn't lead from a distance, being unengaged and uninterested in things. I need to be involved. But it also means that I don't have to do everything and make every single decision. The husband doesn't have to make every decision. So here's an analogy. You can tell me over dinner whether you think it works or not, but I've tried it a few times and so far so good. I I think it's a little bit like the relationship between a company board and a CEO. It's not perfect, but let me see how it goes, right? If I'm a board member of a company that makes ice creams, then the board's job is to make sure that the company is making good ice creams and doing so in a safe way and a way that makes money. The board governs the company. You see that? And to make that happen, the board appoints somebody to manage the company, usually called a CEO, a chief executive officer. And the CEO is responsible for making operational decisions and actually overseeing the running of the ice cream making and everything like that. The board governs and the CEO manages. So what's that got to do with our marriage? Well, it's not a perfect analogy, but at least a little bit in my head, the way I see it is, that since I'm the husband, I'm sort of like the board. And I need to take full responsibility for the running of my family. And so I'll need to make some really big decisions along the way. But I'm blessed to have an extremely good CEO. In the day-to-day running of stuff, Mandy looks after so many things in our family. Some of my teenage boys say, can I have a friend around to play? What do I normally say? Ask your mum. Exactly. It's exactly what I say. And I think one of them, I don't know if they're in this room or not, may have said, but Dad, aren't you the boss? I said, well, I've said to Mum needs to make that decision because when I make that decision, usually it goes pear-shaped. Oh, sure, you can have more ice cream. Sorry. (laughs) See, when it comes to almost every day-to-day decision in our family, Mandy's the one who's leading things. I need to govern, I need to support, and I need to be involved when things get a bit messy. I don't think I'm a distant, disengaged husband or father. But Mandy is a strong leader who manages our home wonderfully and knows that she is the one who, in submitting to my leadership, is submitting to the Lord. 
I don't know if that analogy works or not. Tell me over dinner. But what should it be like for the husband in this relationship? Well, as the one to whom the wife submits, here's how the husband should lead. Verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. The wife submits to her husband and the husband loves his wife. Now, this sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? What does it mean? Buy a few flowers each year. That'll be fine. And make sure you do it when it's not a special day because you'll be expecting it on the birthday or the anniversary. So just a couple of other times. That'll work. There's your loving thing and she'll submit to you and everything's fine. Except the loving that we're supposed to love our wives with, gentlemen, is the loving that was shown by Jesus for his church, which means that the husband's love needs to be total sacrifice. What did Christ do for the church, for Christians? He gave up his life for her. He died for her. He sacrificed himself for her. He killed off every desire out of perfect service to his bride, the church. And so husbands, you're not obeying God's command about loving your wife unless you've killed off your own desires. I say to myself as well. We need to be living 100% for our wives. Because after Jesus... She is your number one in everything. Doesn't matter what you want to watch on TV or eat for lunch or visit on holidays or buy from the shops. From the day you say, I do, you cease to live for you. From the day you say, I do, you cease to live for you. It's all about her. Because that's the way that Jesus serves his church. And... He served his church by dying for us. And it wasn't some sort of stupid macho sign of devotion like, I'll show you how much I love you. I'm going to go and jump off a cliff. Because that would be stupid. The only reason he died for his church is because his death was the most loving thing of all. His death did this, verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. It's kind of like a beautiful white linen cloth that has been bleached almost within an inch of its life and it's so white. And it takes, someone picks it up and they see a dirty window that's got grime on it and they wipe the window and they wipe and wipe and wipe and wipe and wipe and the window is now spotless and the cloth is covered in grime that is why Christ died and we are washed as we believe the word of God We hear the word of God and then when we truly believe it, we receive all of the benefits of the cross. And these are some of them. Verse 27. He did this to present to her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
See, Christ's death, of which we receive the benefits by believing in his word, those benefits are that we have our sins washed away. We have a fresh start, a clean bill, a new life. All those things that stain us, all the sins, all the mess, all the hurt, all the guilt, washed away. That is what comes by believing the good news of Jesus. And it came at the cost of the groom. The husband died for his wife so she might be given life. And that, husbands, is our model. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. A husband loves himself when he loves his wife. A husband loves himself when he loves his wife. That is the unity of the one flesh marriage. That is why marriage, and in particular the union of sex, brings one flesh, one new body. And a husband's ultimate self-care is when he acts in love for his wife. And a husband's ultimate self-harm is when he acts in hate towards his wife. Verse 29. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. In other words, a husband is to feed and care for his wife because in doing so, he feeds and cares for his own body. That's the connection between the husband and the wife. It's just like the connection between Christians and the church. Between Christians and Christ, rather. When the church hurts, Christ bleeds. And so it should be between the husband and wife. And that is why marriage is such a big thing. It's such a momentous occasion. It's a life-changing event. And this is how it's described, verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Or as the older versions would say, leave and cleave. I like that. Leave and cleave. A child breaks from their first family and starts a new family. I think that's why I cried so much on the morning of my first daughter's wedding. It was such a profoundly beautiful and wonderful day. But as I sat there, just putting the finishing touches on my speech on that morning, writing my speech on that morning, uh, I was overwhelmed with emotion. If you were in my family, you would have heard me sobbing, I reckon. Was that, would that be true? You okay, Dad? <laughs> I knew that that was the end of our family as it stood. That was it. There was a break in our family as Liana left. And as a father, I think I realised the gravity of that event. But it was also one of the happiest days of my life when she created a new family, a new body as she was joined to her husband. I didn't cry that much for yours, Jemima, did I? No. I think I'd... I think I got through it. I, I think I'd been through that moment, you know. <laughs> you, you cried more than yours, okay. 
But who would invent this stuff? Who would invent this stuff? Who would come up with the idea that the relationship of a husband and a wife is somehow analogous to the relationship of Christ to the church? Well, it turns out it was the Holy Spirit. He who inspired Paul to write these words, which we now have speaking to us from God. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. We've already heard about another mystery in Ephesians, the fact that Gentiles and Israel are now one and are equal, like, wow, blow me away. And that word mystery is used here as well. The mystery, this link between Christ and marriage is mysterious. It's mind-blowing. It's like, who would have thought? Who comes up with this stuff? And for that reason, this chapter ends with this verse. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's the executive summary right there in a nutshell. And that is why marriage matters. Now, chances are we've all been stirred up a bit as we've heard this word today. If you're not married, but you want to be, or were, then it may have stirred up some strong emotions in you. We're almost out of time now, but I I want to say this before we finish, that we must never see singleness as second rate. After all, there's no marriage in heaven. And the great Apostle Paul encouraged people to follow him in singleness so that some of us might be better equipped to serve God by that gift. Singleness is a gift. It's a beautiful gift to receive. Being single, if I'm talking to you, it is a gift. It's a gift to you as you are to us. And we hold you in very high esteem. And we love you greatly in our church. It might also be the case that some of you are emotionally stirred up because your marriage is not good. Maybe there's a dysfunction. Maybe it's a hidden dysfunction that brings you silent grief and sadness. And, as I've said before, if it has anything at all to do with abuse, please go to that website I mentioned, nodomesticabuse.church. Come and speak to a trusted friend. Or maybe your marriage is not abusive, but it's just not working well, or it's really not working well. Maybe it's become unhealthy or dysfunctional. Don't leave it too late. Get some help. There are some people whose job it is to help marriages get strong, and they are amazing at what they do. Have a chat with them. Counselors who care for you and your husband or wife and can help you work through these issues. Don't give up on your marriage. Work hard to deal with the tough things. But maybe do it with the help of someone who can hold your hand through the process and help you see things you can't see. It'll be hard, but it'll be worth it. Because in the end, marriage matters. It is a gift from God, which is also ordained for the procreation of children and that they might be brought up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord to the praise of his holy name. And it was ordained for the mutual companionship, help and comfort that the one ought to have of the other, both in prosperity 
and adversity. That's what it says in the prayer book at the start of the marriage ceremony, and I think it just nails it. See, we thank God for this gift, and we pray that we might have marriages in our church that are full of love and forgiveness, that aspire to, to somehow reflect the greatest marriage of all, that of Christ and his church the marriage of which every Christian is a part. Let me pray. Lord, what a treat we have had tonight to see this glorious, mysterious, remarkable part of your scriptures. The beautiful picture of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Jesus, that you would do that for us. We are speechless. Father, please help our husbands to love our wives as Christ loves the church and not to settle for anything less. Father, please, would you lead by your spirit wives to submit to their husbands as to you. We pray for our marriages in our church that abuse would be dealt with that there would be safety, that our marriages would be strong. We pray for those who are affected by that breakdown in marriage, those whose hearts ache because of singleness, for those who mourn divorce or mourn because they are a widow. Father, please grant us comfort by your Holy Spirit. And help us to reflect on our place in the greatest marriage of all. That we, as the bride of Christ, have the greatest groom of all. The greatest husband who loves us and gave himself for us. May he be our model. May he be the one we come to for forgiveness. May he be the one who leads us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.